So uh, tonight, here's what I'd like to do, and I'll explain the handout. There's a reason we didn't give it out earlier, because you might, might be confused by it. But what I'd like to do tonight, as far as worship, is to take what we do on a Sunday morning, as far as a worship service, and walk step by step through what we do, talking about each of the elements. And so I was working on a handout that would do that, and I thought, well, we have a handout that does that every single Sunday. And so I thought what would be the best thing to do is we actually went and got what was left over from Sunday as far as our worship guide, and I'd like to pass those out. So in other words, we'll take what we did Sunday, and Brother Tim's going to start handing those out, John's got them back there. And so what we'll do is we're going to pass these out now. They're your worship guide. If you still have yours in the Bible from Sunday morning, you are prepared for tonight, right? So... What I'm going to do is walk through what we do, talk about a worship service, how to prepare for it, uh, some of the mentality behind the things we do, and then at the end, uh, if we have time or if we want to end early, I may or may not do it, I have a few benefits of corporate worship, what it means to be a part of these gatherings, what are just four benefits uh, of being a part of corporate worship. So I may do that at the end if I don't talk too long in this portion. But if you have your worship guide with you, uh, one of the reasons that we do something like this is so that you might be more engaged uh, to help you to engage in the worship service on a Sunday morning. And so if you will, what we'll walk through is actually right inside your first and second page right there as you open it up. And so what I'd like to do is walk through each of the elements, talk about them, and in particular, even read some of the things we have over here on the right side that explains the elements of what we're doing as a church on a Sunday morning. So as we think about worship, and we think about what we're doing on a Sunday, I want you to think about the service before you even get there. What I mean by that, and I'll just have some words that I'll walk through, some will be points to this, some not, but I, we should always, before we come to worship, we should prepare for worship. It's not something that you slide in the last minute and then pick up on. You should think about being prepared as you come into a worship service. So what are some things you might do to be ready before you get to this actual worship service? Uh, the first one I might suggest is to, you know we're preaching through the book of Romans. Uh, you can read over the text for that Sunday. Do you know the pastor preached uh, Romans chapter 5, 12 through 15, uh, 12 through 14 Sunday, and so you know we're going to pick up at verse 15 and go to the end of the chapter uh, this Sunday morning. So before you come to church, before you engage with reading the Bible at Sunday, open up your Bible Saturday night or Sunday morning, read over the sermon text. Another thing I would encourage you to do is before the service ever starts, some people I see it, I saw it Sunday morning, there was a gentleman actually came down to the altar, got on his knees and prayed for about 30 seconds, got back up, went and sat down. It was about five minutes before our service started. You could do that. You can just, in your seat, sit down, have a moment of prayer with the Lord to focus your mind before we start. Another one that uh, we would appreciate for a whole host of reasons, get there early. Right? In other words, it's hard for you to come screaming into the service and the music's going and you come sit down for you to really have your mind focused on what's going on. So arrive in enough time to calmly sit down and be ready for the service when it starts. Get there early. 
uh, come with a Bible. I, I know I'm saying crazy stuff here, but what I'm saying is come ready to participate in the worship service with a Bible. And then this is one I... I don't say you have to do it, but I find it very helpful for me, and I think it could be for a lot of you, is come prepared to take notes. Whether it's a pen you have, we, we encourage it in the, the manner of every single week on our worship guide, you have a space to take notes. Uh, I have a small uh, moleskin notebook, in fact I took it out tonight for this, when I teach I take it out, but every Sunday it slides inside of the inside of my, my Bible, and so every single Sunday I'm taking notes in that same notebook uh, every sermon that I'm hearing. And so that's a part of my note-taking. Now, now, just some of you say, well, I take the notes and I might not look back at them. That may not be the whole purpose of taking them. Oftentimes, I just take them. I, I may not ever open that page back up again. Sometimes I do. I go back and look on a sermon. Some of it is just simply to keep my mind focused. I remember it better when I write it down. I remember it when I'm engaged with taking notes. So I always want to find some way to be engaged with the service. So that's my second point. Uh, before you ever get there, you need to come prepared to engage with what's happening. You know, oftentimes, uh, when we go to something, a concert, uh, a sporting event, even when you sit in front of the TV at your house, you are a spectator that, that has to be drawn in. In a sense, you expect them to be the one to drag you into the action. You expect them to be the one that is entertaining you. But, but Sunday morning worship isn't like that. That's, we're built to just sit down and watch, but you need to think about how you engage with the service. And so I want to walk through some of that in a minute with the elements. But before I get there, I want to say you need to be active in the service. You need to press your mind to think on the words of the songs. You need to press your mind when Scripture is read to meditate and think on the words of the Bible. You need to press your mind to be engaged with the prayers that are going on. Again, oftentimes, I don't know if you catch yourself doing this, you, you might catch yourself in the middle of a song or whatever it might be, not thinking about it. That's not how you should participate in a worship service. You should be active, even with taking notes, that's being active with the sermon that's being taught. So you should see yourself, when you come to worship, as you are focused on the Lord, and you are giving it your energy and your all to be a part of that service. So you're singing, you're praying, you're, you're meditating on the scripture. You are engaged as a worshiper in the service. You're not just a spectator, you are a part of what's going on. So, that being said, those are my two prior points. Let's, let's get right to the first thing that happens. You walk in our worship center, uh, typically, um, most times it's been me uh, lately, but generally at about three minutes till on the hour, I walk up to the front and I start announcements. And walking up there, we'll begin talking through announcements, do those for about two and a half minutes. We do that in some ways, we used to do them in the service. We do it in many ways. We moved it prior so that the entire worship service is focused on the Lord. From the very start to the very finish, it's about Scripture, prayer, and the Lord. That's the entire time we're focused on Him. There's not a moment we take that away. And so announcements are a couple minutes 
uh, before as we walk through that. Then we do something right before the service starts. As soon as we get done, uh, we'll say, I hope you all feel welcome today. And then don't do it right now. But I'll say, if you'd all please stand and greet those around you, right? And so everybody stands up and greets. And you say, well, why do you do that? There's actually a few schools of thought in the modern church world that talks about, you know, some people are introverts, they don't like that moment. Uh, it's, it's a bit challenging if you're an introvert to be in that moment. But we believe that as a church, we're a community that worships together. You don't come to church just to be an individual. You come to church to be a part of the body. So one of the ways we live that out is we want us to be together. So you get to know the people around you. You engage with the people that are next to you because we are a body of believers worshiping together. So when you come in there, we want people to connect. And so that's why we take just a few moments to make sure that you're speaking to those around you. Now that being said, the worship service begins with John reading a verse of scripture. You notice on your, uh, your order of worship here, it is called, it, it's a call to worship. That's how it's defined. And so one of the things we've done in the worship guide is every single Sunday over to the right, we actually define a few elements that we do. One of those is the call to worship. So let's look at it for a moment. It says the scriptural call to worship at the beginning of our service reminds us of the centrality of God's word and God reveals himself to us through his word and he invites us to respond corporately to him in worship. There's really two elements there that this reading does. First, it it centers us on the Bible. You notice there's rarely ever a prayer time that we do that we don't read a verse of Scripture. There's, uh, when we get up to preach, there's always a verse of Scripture read. And then when you begin the service, we're reading a verse of Scripture. So there's a sense of that immediately out of the gate, we hear from God in His Word. He is immediately speaking to us. So we know that because we're reading his word. And then there's this idea of responsive, uh, where we respond to him. Notice, the, notice how it says, God reveals to himself through his word and invites us to what? Respond to him. We're responding to what we hear. So just like when we're saved, God is the one who initiates salvation to us, and then we respond to him with faith and repentance, right? Just like as he draws us to him, he is the one who initiates. The same thing happens in our service. We want to see that God speaks, and all that we do in a worship service is simply a response to God. He is the primary actor. We are the responder. And so by beginning with Scripture, we set the tone from the beginning. Notice, the, notice how all that's kind of outlined. Look at the verse that John read this past Sunday. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. I mean, what a great way to start the service. It's, it's God calling us out to sing his praises. I mean, him calling it. And so when we sing that first song, we are responding to him. Let's talk a minute about singing. 
Because everything we're doing is, in some form, bringing honor and glory to God. Uh, but in particular, singing engages oftentimes the emotions maybe more than anything else. The affections, the, the joy and the passion the Lord has given you shows up as you sing. So let me mention just a couple things about uh, how the songs are planned. Uh, I was actually uh, talking to John about this some today. And um, here's, here's how he put it. I'll just actually give you his words. The song progression is normally something that focuses on the glory and greatness of God first. So what you, the very first song that we come out of the gate with is going to be focused on God's greatness and the glory of who He is. So we want, want a song that speaks about who God is first. Then, something that maybe then moves to looking at our sin, the cross, and forgiveness. So we see the greatness of God. This is really the Gospel, right? God and who He is. He is holy. Then we see our sin. We see Jesus. And we see the forgiveness that can be had in Him. Then, he says, then something that really celebrates God's grace and glory. He said he borrowed this from a guy named Zach Hicks. He said it's the glory of God, the gravity of sin, and then the grandeur of grace. The glory of God, the gravity of sin, and then the grandeur of grace. So you move from the greatness of God, then you see our sin and the greatness of our Savior, and then now we're thankful in His grace. So it's really kind of the progression of the gospel that walks you through in the service. So John is, it's not perfect. You know, we have a lot of different songs that say a lot of different things. But in his mind, as he's leading through and planning the services, this would be the progression that we walk on a Sunday. We see the greatness of God as we begin to respond to Him. That's why uh, we have confession. I don't want to jump to that yet, but that would be where it would fit when we talk about sin. Before we get there, I want to mention one last thing. Um, in Colossians, it talks about how we sing songs and hymns to one another. How we're singing together. In other words, the, it's not just the worship team doing worship, it's actually us, and it's us and our voices working together to bring glory to God. It's the church... Singing, bringing glory to God. So one of the, just a couple subtle things, you may not notice them, that uh, are a part of how we do things. Uh, the first one that's pretty simple is every single time we sing, the words are always on the screen. You know, we, we always are participating in whatever is sung. So, so the thought would be is that it's never one person singing and us listening it's all of us as a group. Always, you're, you're always meant to be a participant in bringing glory to God. We're, you're always a participant in worship. To press that a little bit further, um, we don't, and you may in your world think it's loud, but we don't turn the music up so loud you can't hear yourself. I've been to churches sometimes, they crank the music up so loud you can't even hear yourself. We want you to be able to hear yourself sing. And even, I would even say, even when you hear the mix, uh, I've been to churches as well to do this, the band will be so loud, I can barely hear the words. But the goal is you, we want to elevate the content and the words of what we're singing. 
because we are singing glory to God as we do it. So those are subtle things you might not always think about that are done, but we're doing that so that our singing as we sing to the Lord, it is a congregation lifting up the Lord in praise. So there's a little bit about music and how it plays out in the service. Let me give you another portion, corporate confession. A couple of words there. Notice the two words, corporate confession. Uh, if you're not familiar or been, um, never, never heard the term corporate used before, the, you think of corporations or some sort of big business. That's not the meaning of the term here. We mean corporate as we as a body of believers. You can have private and personal prayer. Then when we pray as a group together, it is corporate prayer. You can have private and personal worship, and you can also have corporate worship. So when we all sing together, it's the body of believers worshiping or praying to the Lord. So in light of that, let's read this definition. In light of God's holiness, wrath, and grace, we acknowledge that we have all sinned against God, and are in need of His, and notice there's a word here, sanctifying grace. So we are believers knowing that His grace is sanctifying us. This confession occurs in the context of a covenant relationship made possible through the perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus. As Christians, our confession is not so that God should forgive us, but because through Christ He has already forgiven us. So in a sense here, this isn't because you somehow, this is, this is what I worry about sometimes when we do it, is that you will think that in that moment you need to list as many sins to get as caught up so that you've confessed everything you possibly can so that somehow God will accept you. Well, that's not the gospel. It's not that you have to confess to say completely caught up. Look, you won't ever confess enough. If you think you can confess them all, you don't understand how many there are. So then why as a Christian, if God's already completely forgiven you, why is it that you then should confess your sins? Well, in this moment, we are responding to the greatness and holiness of God and in this moment, we are reminded of the gospel. You, you, you see that, how it talks about the perfect life, substitutionary death, and the victorious resurrection. We're reminded of what the gospel is. And in that moment, part of our sanctification is us declaring that we're sinful and we need God's help to live a more Christ-like life. So even to, to carry this a little bit further, when... Uh, when you get saved, when you profess faith in Christ, you think that is by grace you are saved. And the way I grew up, I always heard about grace in part of my sal salvation. And then it was, basically after that, I had to live as good as I can, right? So it was, God's part of that, but now I've got to go work hard. But grace isn't just in your salvation, grace is in your sanctification. You cannot become more like Christ without His indwelling, empowering Spirit helping you do that. And so when you're faced with sin, you don't just go try harder, you run back to the grace of God and ask for His help to turn your heart. And so we do this 
in corporate confession. So in many ways, it's not just about your personal confession. What we are doing as a body of believers is declaring our failure as a whole. If you've ever thought about this before, as a, an entire body of believers, us saying, Lord, we confess our failures to you. And so that's what we're doing. We're coming to the Lord and asking for his sanctifying grace. So look at the text we use Sunday. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then really this next phrase fits what we were doing Sunday in confession. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So in many ways what we're doing there is we're renouncing these things. It's training. The grace of God in that moment is continuing to train us to turn from the worldly stuff. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we're confessing this in our sanctification, but also one of the benefits of this moment in the service, it's almost every week a gospel moment. We always have some element, you even hear it in the text we just read, where we're able to speak the gospel and pray the gospel uh, as a church. So that's corporate confession. Now there's a couple more uh, components here uh, that I'd like to speak about. The, the next one is our offertory our offering. And I'm going to combine it a little bit with our offertory prayer or our pastoral prayer. Um, the pastoral prayer, when we reach that point in the service, that is our moment to where we as a pastor, whoever's leading that week, can gather with the body and pray for particular things that are going on. It's whatever we can pray as a body for together. And it might be, you've noticed sometimes, if things are going on in our culture, in our world, that we need to be praying for. We use that time as a body of believers to pray for. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we'll use that time to pray for specific needs in the congregation as people can lift up their own personal needs or struggles. Uh, one of the unique things is you think, we're all coming in this room together lifting up this prayer together. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but wherever you spend your week or wherever you work, you might live and work in a place that can be fairly godless. Maybe some of your coworkers or some of the place, wherever you're at, you may feel alone. You may feel like, does anybody actually believe like I believe? Does anybody actually stand on the same things that I stand on? And it can be fairly discouraging if you're in a world where there's nobody next to you uh, that is for the things you're for. And so when we come into a room together as a corporate body, it's not just about what you're hearing. It's also about standing in a room of people. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it or noticed it, but realizing you're not alone in this battle. It's not just you. You now stand with this entire room full of people that all are singing the same things, reading the same things, and then in that moment of, 
of pastoral prayer, we're praying the same thing. We are all lifting the same stuff up together. Another thing we do uh, is uh, the offering. Notice we have a description in here. Giving is an act of worship in which the members of Hickory Grove give generously of our substance to further the mission of the church and to bring glory to God. So just like in, we're engaged in singing, just like we're engaged in scripture reading, we're engaged in this moment to give our, of our, our treasure, our money, of what we have to the Lord. We are, and, and so that's not just, you know, you're just writing a check and saying, here it is. This is your act of worship. It's a part of your worship of the Lord when you give. It's a part of something coming from your heart, giving worship to the Lord. Now let's take a moment and talk about the sermon. So if you've noticed, because the, the word is central to everything we do, then the word preached becomes the central part of the service. It is the featured, focused thing we're doing. We're, we're singing to the Lord, but this is our moment where the Word is opened and we hear from the Lord. And so the service is building to this point. You get the sense that's what's going on. It's not a mistake that the service, but it is building so that now the Word is placed central. You also noticed, uh, noticed something, particularly in our worship center, uh, with the size of the pulpit. You might notice we have a fairly large pulpit. So what that communicates is that when, when the word is preached there, something significant and central happens right there at that sacred desk. That we are preaching the word of God, that you're hearing from something significant. In fact, you know, one of the things about, I've, I found interesting, I just discovered this uh, standing in the lobby, but have you ever noticed that if you come like through the glass doors and you're in the lobby and you look straight through the door, that the pulpit is centered inside of those doors? I mean, you can see even all the way from the lobby, all the way out, right as you come through the first doors, if you look into the worship center, they centered, when they built that building, they centered the pulpit right in the middle of the building. And, and that's all to communicate the centrality of the Word of God and the Word preached. So the, it's all built to this moment. As a part of it, we, um, pastors mention this a fair bit, but we do expositional preaching where we walk through books of the Bible. The authority rests on the Bible when it is preached. So the emphasis is on the text and not always so much on the preacher that you have, here is the Bible speaking, that you want to hear from the Word of God. The authority comes from the Word. And so when we have this moment, we are reading the Word of God, hearing from it, and, try, and listening to what God might say through His Word to us. So it goes back to the whole, whole idea of being expectant. Do, do you... When the word is open, listen for what God is saying through his word to you. That's really the question as you submit under his word. 
So that's the central part of the sermon based on his word. Then uh, we believe the Bible is living and active. Hebrews 4, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's at work. And so we believe when it is preached, it creates a response. It does work in the life of those who hear it. So because, because we believe in the power of the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit, we call for a response to that. So that's why the, the pastor shares the gospel every Sunday and calls for people to respond to the gospel. But even beyond that, you should think of yourself when the sermon is done and you start to shut your Bible and he's beginning to pray and the song is starting, you should ask yourself in that moment, how am I now responding to what has been preached? It's not just for people who might walk an aisle. It, it is for everybody to think, every single time the word is preached, how am I responding to it? It should call, that, call for that from you. So we respond to the word of God. The last thing I'll mention if you notice lately, we've started doing uh, the commissionings for mission teams, oftentimes are at the end of our service. One of the things we've just started talking like and thinking is that, you know, we gather for worship, we hear from God, we worship God, we hear from His Word, His Word begins to work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're changed, and then something happens at the end of the service. We then scatter for the mission of the gospel. When the service ends, we are then sent to wherever you might be to your world to live out the gospel. And so we commission teams at the end because we're sending people out. But ultimately, every single week when we're gathered in that big room with all those people, when we pray, everybody at that moment is sent back out to whatever world they might be to carry that gospel that we just talked about in that room. So we are sent as a body of believers. So that's a little bit about the order and what our service looks like. Why we do things where they're at, why we do them the way we do them. So let me give you, just real quick here at the end, I'll give you four uh, benefits that come or four things that are for you that happen when you're a part of corporate worship. The first one is corporate worship displays our God-glorifying unity. When we all stand in a room together, you get the sense of how we are all confessing our faith together. We're all singing this together. We are all sitting under the Word together. We are all affirming this together. It is a little ironic, though, that oftentimes in the corporate worship time is when most people uh, express their division over what styles of music they may like or dislike. But that should be our time when we are most unified, showing just how much we have come together in the worship of the Lord. So that's where we are a part of worship, unified together, singing under the word together. Here's the second one. Corporate worship allows us to help each other in worship. We help each other. 
Hebrews 10.24, consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Speaking about when we are assembling together. So when we are regularly there, we're encouraging to the brothers and sisters of Christ next to us. It's encouraging when you can hear the person next to you singing as we sing the songs together. It's encouraging when you talk about the sermon after the service. It's, it's encouraging to those around you when you go to welcome somebody you may not have known or be familiar with. And so when we gather as a body, it's encouraging to sit next to other believers as we walk the road together. The third thing, corporate worship is edifying. It's an opportunity for us to edify each other. You see, God's not the only one you're addressing in worship. You know, it is true we have the sense of the audience of one. We're, we're singing here to God. I'm bringing glory to God. But it's not just God. I'm singing so that to each other we might sing the praises of God. It's edifying to be singing together as a body of believers. And so, as a part of being in a room, we often forget those who are next to us and how edifying that might be. Finally, the last thing I'll share, and then I'll close out. Corporate worship offers a taste of heaven. By the way, I got this from, there's a good article I found on the Nine Marks website, speaks about worship, and these were four benefits from that article. But he said in there, it's often been observed that the Bible begins in a garden but ends in a city. Heaven is a place where the whole community of God's people will dwell with Him forever, praising His name and delighting in His glory. And corporate worship is a snapshot of what that one day will be. And so for us, we have the benefit when we come together of getting a little picture of exactly what one day in heaven will be when we're gathered together with the saints, bringing praise to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our church and Lord, us as a body of believers to, be, to have the privilege to be a part of a community that values the Word, that desires to bring praise and honor to you most of all. Lord, we thank you for our pastor and how he leads us to rely and to love the Word. We thank you for uh, Pastor John and Pastor Olivier and Melissa as they lead us in worship. And God, we thank you for those moments that we sing the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of worshiping with believers on Sunday. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that gift that you've given us to hear at Hickory Grove. Lord, we pray that you would help us to engage and to be fully a part of bringing honor and glory to you in our worship services. God, may we bring all of, what, of who we are and what we have to worship. May we see that as a place we would expend all our energy to bring you praise and honor and glory uh, because, God, you are worthy of our worship. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.